I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth forevermore. That's Psalm 121, one of the first of the Psalms of the Ascents that were sung by the, the congregation and the choirs as they went up to Jerusalem at, at festival times. The first lesson today, here we are at Wednesday, March the 23rd, or Tuesday, sorry, March the 23rd, and the first lesson is from Jeremiah 25, continuing with that passage from yesterday. It's verses 8 through 17. And so he's still announcing judgment against the people, those who didn't obey his words, and therefore all the tribes from the north, that means all the nations that are north of Israel, and for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, Interesting language there, but he's doing God's will. And I'll bring them against this land and its inhabitants and all these surrounding nations, and I'll devote them to destruction to make them a horror and a hissing and an everlasting desolation. It's not as bad as all that, even it's worse. Moreover, I'll banish from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the grinding of the millstones and the light of the lamp. The whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. And then at the end of that time, God announces judgment. The judgment that's been pronounced against Babylon in times past is going to be activated at the end of 70 years, and it's because they make slaves of the people again. They're his people. And the cruelty of others exceeds God's judgment upon them, and so he will judge those nations, and in that time, they'll be made a waste, and an everlasting waste is what he says. And, he, and so the judgment is pronounced against his people, but he knows in advance that these other nations are going to exact more than justice. They're going to exact punishment on his people, and so he wants them to know in advance that he knows these things and he is providing for judgment against those nations that will be an everlasting judgment. And it's similar to what you saw with the Canaanites when they came into the land to start with. Remember, the, he, he made them go down to Egypt for 400 years so that the sin of the Canaanites might fill the land and pollute the land so much that they had to be driven away from it. His forbearance and his patience, even with those who are not his people, is long. And so he'll put up with it for a long time, and then ultimately it, he will come against them and, and lay them waste and put them away forever and ever. Now, there are still Chaldeans in the world, actually. If you look up online, what you'll find is there's a significant Chaldean population in the United States, and they tend to cluster in certain areas, but they're Christians. They consider themselves to be part of the nation of, of the Chaldeans but they're Christians, and so they devote themselves to good works and things like that, but they have their own identity, and it's easy to find this on Google. Um, but those are the remnant of the Chaldeans that God brought out from there. They're the ones who follow Jesus, the ones who would probably be in the line of the Chaldean kings who come down and worship the baby Jesus, the kings who come 
seeking after the king of Israel because of the star. So there's a remnant even of those who will come out. And so the, the God's people can be judged, but not eternally, not completely. There's always a remnant going to come forth from those, but it matters how we deal with that. We need to do exactly what we've been told to do again and again, and that is to take account of our sins and recognize that if God's doing this, there's a reason. We can't plead innocence in those situations, but everything is not judgment upon us. If we're struggling and we're having hard times, things aren't going the way they should, that doesn't mean God's judgment is upon us. It might mean He's just doing something else and bringing us to a new and a different place in Him and in our relationship with Him, preparing us for a future work. And it seems to have been the case with this blind man. The guy's extraordinary. I mean, it's, it's absolutely unbelievable. He doesn't seem to carry around a bunch of malice and upset because of what had happened to him, because of the fact that he had spent most of his life, all of his life to this point, blind. He seems perfectly willing to accept that God had that in store for him and allowed him to be considered to be nothing more than a beggar, because when you're blind, if you're handicapped and unable to work in any way, it's okay to beg in Israel. But you've got to have a handicap. You can't just be some guy who won't work. And so he had an excuse, but we're learning that not only did he have an excuse for not working, there's a backstory that everybody thought about him. Everybody thought a certain thing about this guy. And that certain thing is what we heard the disciples ask about yesterday, who, was, who sinned, him or his parents, that he was born this way. We're going to see it again in today's lesson. It's the backstory everybody had for him, that he was a bad guy, that he was shunned by people, not just because he was blind, but because they had an assumption about sin in his life. They, didn't take, they took pity on him, I guess, in some ways, but at the same time they were passing judgment on him. And so they don't know what to make of this. And so they called the, the parents, because they're not willing to accept his testimony, they call his parents and they ask them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And so they answer and say, we know this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we don't know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. And we're told parenthetically that they did this because they feared the Jews. And the Jews had already said they were going to de-synagogue you if you confess Jesus to be the Christ. So his parents gave the answer that got them off the hook and threw him under the bus. I, he's of age. Ask him. So they call him. Give glory to God. We know this man's a sinner. You can just see this dude rolling his eyes, which is a little bit of a play on words and a pun. Uh, he answered, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I know, that I was blind and now I see. It's as simple as that. So then they said, okay, what did he do to you? How did, you op did he open your eyes? Here again, he's rolling his eyes again. I told you already, and you wouldn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? In other words, are you asking me for a witness? Is that it? You want to hear the testimony again and again because you want to follow after him? Because I've already told you all this stuff before. And they reviled him. You are his disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, here it comes. 
We don't know where he comes from. Interesting. Just absolutely fascinating that they keep going back to this same thing again and again and again. And, and what was interesting was it would have been the same for Moses, probably for a big chunk of his life. Where did he come from? Was he a Jew? Was he Pharaoh's son? The people he lived among out there in the wilderness, and then he comes back, and where'd you come from? There's always this sort of odd story hanging out there about who these people are and where did they come from. You could ask the same about Elijah because he goes from place to place and he's out there in the wadi and he's then up in Zarephath and he's here. So where did he come from? We're just barely told these things, but it matters to them. And that's the reason Amos has to come in his prophetic word. He comes to Jerusalem and says, look, I'm not a prophet or a son of a prophet. I'm just a guy who's a vine dresser. But the Lord spoke to me. But this, where do you come from, validates you in some way. And so they, he didn't, he's not one of us. He didn't come from the best rabbinic schools. He didn't do this. He comes from, you know, Galilee, up there in Nazareth, in that horrible place that's nothing good there. And so that, they continue to go back to that place, and it's just unbelievable. They keep doing it. And he's, the man responds, right, this is amazing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. And then he gives them a theological lesson. We know God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone's a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't do anything. And their response, you were born in utter sin. And would you teach us? Here's a clue. We're all born in utter sin. <laughs> and then they cast him out. But, I mean, so that, again, you're going back to that, that default theological position of uh, there's sin here. They don't even bother saying which one it was. We just know there was sin. You were born in utter sin. And then Jesus goes to see the guy and asks him if he believes in the Son of Man. He says, ah, who is he that I might believe in him? He says, you've seen him, and it's he who's speaking to you. This man that everybody else has looked down on, not just because he was blind, but because they thought that he was born in utter sin is the guy Jesus reveals himself to, just like he revealed himself to the woman at the well. He sees beyond all this stuff and sees something extraordinary in this man and chooses him to give him that revelation. And his response is, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And then he's still talking about seeing judgment. I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind and the pharisees then heard that and they said wait are you we also blind jesus said if you were blind you'd have no guilt but now that you say we see your guilt remains if you claim to have knowledge and you refuse to see the evidence that's right before you and you reject that evidence then your guilt remains because you're rejecting the truth. And when you reject the truth, you reject Jesus as well. And they see these things, but because of other things that they, quote, know that this man was born in utter sin, they don't know where Jesus comes from. They know that he heals somebody on the Sabbath in a way that made both him and the man sin. So therefore, he's not from God. And it's a horrible scene because it's humorous at one level because they're refusing to see incredible evidence right in front of their eyes and the, even the people that lived there refused to see the evidence that was in front of their eyes because they were denying even that it was him it couldn't be couldn't possibly be him but these guys these pharisees have already decided what jesus is 
and he won't answer their questions, and he won't do the things they want him to do, and therefore he is not the Messiah. In fact, he's a sinful man, and that's all we know, because he continues to break the laws of the Sabbath. It, opening eyes is the hardest thing, and you can hear it in Paul in this Romans lesson that he's just grieving over his own people. He says, that I bear witness, they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they didn't submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. He's saying that, that the evidence was there. Everything they needed to come to faith was there, and it still is. But they've already made a decision, and the decision was Jesus ain't it. And because of that, they can't see it. And that's part of the reason that I love reading rabbinic literature. And I listen to rabbinic teaching today is because I believe that there, as long as you're earnestly seeking to know things, God's going to reveal it to you. But the problem is, is that if your heart is hardened against the answer, then you're never going to see it. But you can't ever claim that God didn't help and didn't lead you there and didn't give you information that would have allowed you to see the truth. And so I grieve for them as well, and we need to pray for the Jewish people that their hearts would be opened to the truth about Jesus. And all that Paul's argument is to say is, is that they're still trying to work it out. They're still trying to do things to gain God's favor and to gain salvation and to be righteous. And, and he says that's not it. it. It's belief. He said the word is near to you. In your mouth and in your heart. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. I had a priest that I served under and with and mentored by. that He wouldn't allow part of the prayers of the people in the Episcopal Church. It um, says, pray for those whose faith is known only to you. And he says, no... We can't do that because with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. It's not okay for nobody to know that you believe because if you believe, then your responsibility is to tell others, no matter what the cost of telling others is. And this guy paid the cost. He paid the price for his faith and for his belief. He persecuted for years and years horrible situation, but persevered for joy because he knew Jesus. No matter what it cost, no matter what other people said about him, he never cared because it was about Jesus for him. And the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame because ultimately you'll be raised to the right hand of God in glory with his son. And it's a beautiful statement of the truth. Everyone that calls on his name of the Lord will be saved and and, and that's all we're given to do is to call on the name of the Lord, to trust Him, to believe in Him, to follow Him, to do all that He says, and to proclaim Him. If we do those things, we will be saved and we will know the joy of eternal life and the glorification that awaits. <laughs>